and uh, because he's very demanding. <laughs> Yo, My favourite economist, Nicholas Gruen. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Oh, very, very well. That's good. Yes. Now, um, I've just been talking to uh, Sarah Ferguson about her terrific book, um, which is The Killing Season Uncut. Yes. And it probably goes to a little bit of the heart of what you're going to talk about today. And I, I loved it that you posed about reform. You say, perhaps we're in our own trap in which we can't escape the mental world of the glory days of the 1980s reform. Indeed, indeed. So, so, um, and 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 what I and the trap that I was uh, making an analogy with is what's called the middle income trap. So, the middle income trap is a trap that uh, South America is in, Russia is in, uh, China will soon be in. I don't know about India, but the trap is that you get the well, if you'll pardon the pun, the trappings of a modern economy. You get the what I like to say is the arteries of a modern economy, but you don't have the capillaries. Well, what are the capillaries? The capillaries are a sort of base level of trust in the society, a sense that uh, conflicts of interest between, you know, in public life and in business life are important uh, and are shameful mm-hmm. if you are caught out. Uh, and if you don't have these things you will end up, you know, you won't have a subsistence economy and they don't have a subsistence economy in South America, but you won't, you won't really prosper. And, and what I suggested is that in a sense, there's a high income trap because what we're assuming is that this is as good as it gets, <laughs> that the wealthy countries are as good as you can get. And yet, think about all the things I just said, mm. that is conflict of interest, uh, and essentially, people, I mean, my idea of utopia, in fact, I ran into it. It was a quote from Charlie Munger. Do you know who Charlie Munger is? No, I don't, Nicholas. Charlie Munger is uh, Warren Buffett's right-hand man. He's co-billionaire. And uh, Warren Buffett says that Charlie and I tap dance to work every day. And anyway, so Warren Buffett, in, uh, sorry, Charlie Munger in some ways is a bit is the thinker of the two he's more interested in in sort of in, in social theories and all this kind of stuff and he says the highest form which civilization can reach is a seamless web of deserved trust hmm. i think that's fantastic and that's and so if there is uh, and so i want to keep the progress that we've made over the last 2 or 300 years um towards um, each of us trying to do the right thing in a funny way. And, of course, that's a utopian, that's a utopian desire. But if you, say, compare the American health system or the financial system with our own, the American one is larger and more dysfunctional because there's more people in there whose main aim is to rip everyone off. And it, that's hugely degrading. It's, it's, it's really interesting, Nicholas Gordon. I know it's a small little micro example, but I started out, on this program by talking about this wild dog and foxes plan that's right. 
about 10 or 15 years, hundreds and hundreds of sheep were killed by wild dogs. Yeah. And what they did was get together with the ACT, which borders on Namagee National Park, and, and yeah. with the stakeholders, the New South Wales stakeholders, the farmers. And they all you sat... call that Namagee, do you? I thought it was... N- I've always called it Namagee. Oh, well, I've, been, I've just been retrying. I'm happy to be corrected, but I, by an Indigenous person, told me to say Namagee, so I just went... Go, go just... for it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, they all sat down at a cup of tea and nutted out this action plan... Yes. So it leaves the an area. They leave the the higher dog predators there. So yes. the big dogs. Yes. They acknowledge that they're part of the ecosystem. Then they have a buffer zone yes. between where the the farmers actually are, and so they yes. trap the the animals there. Yes. And in the past six years, they haven't lost one sheep. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, gee, there's a little bit of consensus. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Chatting around a table, reform call, agreement. That's right, and that's what I call decision-making on the merits. So what I mean by that is that no amount of calling for action by politicians, really at any level, certainly at the national level, but um, possibly even at the local level, would deliver what that seamless web of deserved trust delivers, which is that everyone in that system, they've all got their private interests and some will be richer than others and, you know, they'll have their disagreements, but there is a sense amongst those people that they want to cooperate, mm. that they are working collectively on something, and that it, it would and that it would be shameful to uh, to let others down. And how far is that from the sort of managerial systems that run the public service uh, and you know bonuses and all this kind of stuff? I'm not telling you the bonuses are never warranted, but we have a sort of one dimensional debate which assumes that, you can incentivise, to use a charmingly ugly <laughs> word, uh, you can incentivise for any behaviour that you want. And that's actually quite wrong, I think, and it's part of what I'm calling the high-income trap. Mm. And, and just because I've been talking to Sarah too, is part of that, oh, you can chuck the Prime Minister out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. then you've got a very tentative Prime Minister coming, oh, we're not do too much, we're not frighten the horses here. Yes, or get chucked out. At the last election, the Labor Party went to the election with a with a proposed prime minister that it knew from bitter experience was not fit for purpose. Now that's quite something. That's quite a breach of trust. I think you would agree. Um, so, uh, and the one and Julie Gillard, speaking of reform, actually did. Yeah. Bring in. Sure, sure, sure. But it's not, I'm not making a pro-Gillard yeah. point. No, no, neither um, am I. But exactly, yeah. exactly. But and and you can see echoes of this. I mean, it wasn't that the Liberal Party didn't move from Tony Abbott to uh, Malcolm Turnbull because it felt that any alternative would be a breach of its trust with the Australian people. It accepted the except interpreted through the lens of an election win. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so, so this is just sort of going on and on, and it's, yeah. it, and, and the whole idea of representative democracy uh, is that the representatives they're there in the parliament and they're supposed to sort that stuff out. But in fact, now it just gets fed fed back to us through the media echo chamber. And I know you're very sensitive about that. Oh no, no, go for it, go for it, Nicholas. Just have to move on. No, no pain, no gain. Give me the pain. Um, so the system isn't doing what it's supposed to do and the system is not performing on the merits. Mm. The individual little cogs in the system are not 
attending to their world as best they can. They're sort of servants of different parts of the system that really don't know anything about the life in there. And so the system goes wrong. And, and, and you've just given us a great example of, a, of what a system should look like, mm-hmm. which is that insofar as we're talking about the, the, the feral dog problem and, and sheep getting uh, knocked off by uh, animals, that that problem is solved on the merits. Nobody gets a bonus. Uh, it's just know, a good idea based on science. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's worked. Let's yeah, sign another yeah. five-year plan. Done. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And 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 you know, it's I never like to criticise politicians without poli- uh, with, without criticising us. And of course, we vote for these politicians. <laughs> yes. so we like the bread and circuses, and we like the yeah. talks where we really know how to run the country. Uh, and if only they'd listen to us. And so we're all in a kind of dialogue of the deaf when. What sort of what has to happen? What what should happen is that at every level, uh, these systems should be doing their work and figuring stuff out on its merits, not on the next career move. So, but so that, that's not how things work. Nicholas Gruen, um, uh, my favourite economist, is with me, named that by a listener. Hello, Anne Carl Lambert. Um, so, do you think it's going to be an election slogan for either of the parties? No pain, no gain. Oh, yes, but I have a better election slogan okay. than both of them. But I've, I've been peddling this slogan for about, really, since the mid-2000s. Tell me what you think of it, um, Alex. <laughs> now is the time for complacency. <laughs> so we've waited a long time in our lives. No one's ever told us that, but our politics for the last 20 years have been predicated on that. And so I think uh, somebody should... Step just up to the just actually be honest, do you reckon? I think so. I think so. Just or put it out there. Right. She'll be right. That shouldn't be... That's not um, too bad. That wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> On the other hand... Yeah. What, what do you think might galvanise galvanize, uh, our parties or us, if you're saying in the end it comes down to us, yep. about reform? Oh, God. Um, Look, I'm giving you the platform. I know, but 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 uh, that's too big. A, you know, I see it. Uh, you know, as I uh, like, we've talked. Well, well, well we've, we're doing it, Alex. Mm. We're talking about that little group, um, Edmund Burke, and, by, and, and and he was the sort of intellectual father of conservatism. But but he was a good guy. Trust me. Uh, um, talked about little platoons. Um, that the good side of conservatism is about the idea that we have a culture that we want to protect and we want to protect the best part of it and we want it to be decentralised. We want everyone to be part of it in some kind of way and we want it to be a vehicle where people lead their lives, lead happy and productive and, mm. and, and good lives and, they, and part of that is to do what they need to do for themselves and for other people wherever they find themselves. Um, and we're in a kind of much more hyped-up sort of world. Which is how we got Medicare with that kind of philosophy. Well, I suppose so, but, but I don't... Yeah, that's right. But that's not a little platoon's idea. No, that's, uh, a, that, that's not a That's a major program. reform. Yeah. That's right. That's a big thing which yeah. says at the countrywide level we want to, um, we want to uh, protect people who are sick. So I, I happen to agree with that. But that comes from out of a different part of political philosophy, if you like, social democracy. 
Um, anyway, I don't know the answer, uh, I'm afraid, but, but I think the whole way we talk about a lot of these things is, is well, pretty awful, really. And, yeah. you know, you, 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 it was a big, you, quite a good conversation on Q&A, particularly about education last yeah, night, and also yeah. about the attempt at reform and tax reform. Yeah. Well, well, again, and, and education is an example I would use. We have an idea of reform, which is the classic sort of no pain, no gain story. And most of the reform we need to do, most of the things we need to get better, aren't necessarily helped by that. So if you think about schooling, um, we don't really know that much about what makes for good schooling, but, but I would say it's got something to do with uh, people in schools feeling motivated and well-trained and well-supported and removed, if they're no good, um, to, and, and to, to understand what they're doing and measure what they're doing and continually... Inspired, what creative, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, you won't... That doesn't settle... You know, that doesn't work... What I've just said doesn't work particularly well in a, in a candidate debate. A candidate debate will... So one person will say to the other person, you don't care about kids... And the other person will say, well, you just want to spend government money as if it's water. And, and so the whole way we discuss these things is very totemic. We decide whether we're on the left or the right as if that is the problem. And we do know, one thing we do know is that we could double expenditure on schooling and not get any better at it. Uh, so, so whether you want to spend more or less, there is an agenda, which is an agenda of detail, although we don't know from the top of the system exactly what that detail is. So we do know. I think one basic thing we know is that we need good teachers and we need to support teachers. That's one thing we need. But what, is, what, what do the Finnish, um, the, the, the Finnish school system, the Singapore school system, the Shanghai system, the Canadian school system have in common? Well, it's not very easy to tell. They're all fairly different, but they're all performing a lot better than our system. Mm. So the answers aren't in a candidate debate. Uh, the answers are in schools, in communities, in states. And wasn't that what Gonski was about? Well, no. I mean, Gonski was about, again, a bit like what we said about Medicare. Gonski is about more funding to disadvantaged schools, mm-hmm. which has got to be a good thing. But I suspect, you know, maybe that's a quarter of the problem solved. And that's, that's the sort of no pain, no gain side of the problem in the sense that that's the hard thing to do because you've got to take money off someone to give it to where you think it's needed. And then we kind of dust off our hands and say, well, problem solved. So uh, we're all, the, the Gonski story is a classic example of what I call policy debaters culture war. You decide whose side you're on, and it's all about funding. And, uh, and so we don't quite get down to what really matters, which is individual schools... And, it, and, and the wider system that helps us educate people performing better. So what's going to shake us out of this pattern then, this pattern of debate? Well, well I thought this was, I thought you knew this, Alex. This is the My Favourite Economist segment. We need to go national. Maybe international. If only people were like us, Alex. This is the problem with the world. Oh, Nicholas, you are wonderful. <laughs> Look. There we are. We've thrown it out there. That's right. Think about doing it differently. Onward and upwards. Onwards and upwards. No pain, no gain. Well, well. In fact, now is not the time for complacency. 
Okay, okay, we're going <laughs> for that one. Well, 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 just think of no, the no pain. When you hear the no pain, no gain story, think of austerity in Europe. Think of all the politicians in Europe telling people they need to balance their budget when, while in the general scheme of things, balancing your budget is a good thing. Mm. Balancing the budget in Europe is a, is, is a running catastrophe, which last time it really this this really got its hooks into that continent. We ended up with World War Two. Yes. When we think of no pain, no gain, think of what happened before World War One, which is that that a large number of the intelligentsia ran around saying what we need is another war. We need to toughen the place up. So yes. There can be no pain, no gain in some of our reform, but let's not get too carried away with that. Learn from history, which is a lot of work to be done. With Sarah Ferguson was talking about as well. Um, Nicholas, always fabulous to talk to you. And that is uh, Dr. Nicholas Gruen from Lateral Economics, um, dubbed my favourite economist, and uh, joins me monthly for a big chat, which uh, we love.